0: The Y Curve, with Phil Dobby and Roger Hearing. Well, just how shaky does the BBC's future look? Younger audiences are getting more content elsewhere, and the
1: idea of linear TV is quickly vanishing. Meanwhile, newer content providers are carving out large tracts of the BBC's audience share and seemingly doing it for a lot less money.
0: And while we're talking about money, can you really believe that Gary Lineker is earning still £1.3 million a year? Has the corporation really got a handle on costs? And couldn't shows like Strictly? and pointless and master chef easily be produced by the commercial sector why does
1: the BBC need its fingers in quite so many pies and then there's the politics whether they are biased in their coverage or not plenty of people will always argue they are so does that mean content's watered down so as not to offend the public as we've heard this week and in particular the government if Liz Truss is the next Prime Minister the BBC's future
0: is looking more precarious than ever before so what can be done to save the BBC? skin.
1: The Y curve. So a 100 years of the BBC mm. and I have to say it's looking pff, pretty shaky I mean just in terms of obviously political attacks, it gets those all the time but the big financial moves, the big economic moves are against it yeah. people are not watching it in the same way or listening to it in the same way they were, the younger generation certainly and the mechanism for funding it doesn't make any sense. No and and so the question is how does it get
0: funded and uh, is it something for everybody that is the problem with the BBC isn't it, it's trying to satisfy too many people uh, and does that mean that just everything gets watered down and I think particularly when we start looking at news coverage uh, uh, it's interesting what Emily Maitlis has been saying.
1: uh, Yeah uh, she's got a very particular position I think one would have to say (laughs) But Um, you know I listen
0: listen here and I thought thank God for that because I think I think the BBC by taking that supposedly
1: middle ground on Brexit I think uh, too much in favour of the Brexiteers She was saying there was pressure coming through potentially on what stories you'd cover and and I I have to say, at the time I was working, which wasn't all the time she was there, but for a lot of the time post-Brexit... It wasn't that way for me. I mean, you know, uh, we, we balanced it, certainly. There was always an awareness of balance, because you have to. That is the mm. point about the BBC. But we didn't cover stuff up. You know, if, if it's there, if it's a story, we put it out there. And frankly, these are matters of opinion in terms of well, the so, actual Well, So
0: there, there is the question, because it will always get down to opinion. And your opinion and my opinion on things will be very different. And so if we were trying to find the balance between the two of us, it just becomes who's got the strongest personality. who well, the because win, and... I can talk every- you see? <laughs> I'm controlling the desk here, so true. you know I've got the ultimate power, uh, and I edit this thing.
1: So just be careful. Yes, so yeah, you know, and there's a a, I
0: mean there's an interesting thing as well. You know whoever edits ha- has the yeah, control. Absolutely, the
1: producers so, are at least as important, the editors as the people you see So here. All gets down
0: to you know what you think, which may be at odds with what other people think, and yeah. it, and, and so long as you've got that question about what is bias and what's not are you better off actually saying, well, OK, we are going to be unashamedly take a position on this rather than trying to go the middle well, ground? Well,
1: no, they can't do that. They can't possibly do that. But of course, well, what we're talking about all there is the news element of it and the vast majority of the see, time th- what the BBC puts out isn't news.
0: You see, I think they can. I think if you had a, uh, a presenter, and maybe this would work better on radio than it does on TV, but you listen to stations like LBC, for example, where you have a presenter who might take an opinion you know what that presenter's yeah. stance is, yeah. so long as in that same show you've got somebody else and they're there to say, well, okay, we'll take other opinions on this. You know what I think, what do you think, is a far better way of actually... Pulling out alternative but we opinions. You know what's going to
1: happen. People who pay for this in whatever form they do at the moment through the license fee will say, "I'm paying that man's wages, and that man or that woman are saying things yeah. I disagree with." Taking a position, you have somebody and else outrage, Yeah. Well, of
0: course they'll be outraged, but that's fantastic. It makes great broadcasting. At well, least, least makes great broadcasting. <laughs> it doesn't make much for the
1: longevity of the BBC. <laughs> well, that's the point. It is not like LBC. It is not like ITV. It is not like Channel
0: no. 4. It, it, it takes that middle ground and uh, it because becomes it has to. It, well, yeah. But then I think stuff. Gets missed by taking the middle ground. I think you yeah, miss yeah, stuff but, out. You don't dig a down huge deep chunk enough. Of
1: what it does, which is which is involved in putting out the debate that's there, and we mm. don't we don't they don't shy away from that. But also at the same time, in the global context, BBC is very 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 well respected well, look, internationally it, and says things that other broadcasters. I don't. I think
0: you pull back on debate. This is going to be a lively half hour. Is now. I think you pull back on debate if you have to take the middle ground. So somebody says something, somebody else disagrees. That first person will say, "Okay, well we've had both." sides of the opinion now can they actually say well actually no there's another four dimensions to this and if we go right down to the to the next level i'm going to win this argument
1: but i better not win this argument because i work for the bbc now no, 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 that's that's nonsense what actually happens no. is we put out things that are there the, the various aspects of a question and there's a big difference between putting those there and then saying oh yes this one happens to be right right if you had
0: pushed very hard on the northern ireland uh, boundary, border question, very early on in the Brexit debate, you would have found pretty quickly that was a sticking point for we Brexit. Did. We did. Not a great deal, though. No, we not did. Not a great you deal. It was, it was, we did. Well, yeah, I, I, I beg to differ that it was given the prominence, which actually ultimately was the most decisive factor as to whether Brexit is a success or not, because we haven't figured it out yet. Well, no, it i certainly was there are other
1: factors including immigration, and God knows what as well. At the moment, there's a lot of focus on it. But I mean, in the end, deciding what's important and what's not is a matter of opinion. Well, yeah, and uh,
0: you're, you're always going to get stuck with that problem, and increasingly in this uh, in, in this day and age, that's going to become a, a bigger issue. Look, Patrick Barwise is an is professor of management and marketing at London Biz- Business School. He's written the book on this back in 2020 with Peter York. He wrote the book The War Against the BBC.
1: Have you read that book? I've delved into it. I wouldn't say read it <laughs> cover to cover. I've certainly <laughs> looked at it. And it does give a lot of very interesting arguments about them. And he's joining us now. So let's hear some of them and see uh, what we make of it. Patrick, I you wrote the book of The War Against the BBC.
0: And uh, I'm, I just wonder whether, if this is a war, the BBC isn't fighting it particularly well at the moment. So there was the House of Lords report into the, the BBC's funding uh, that declared that it wasn't being helped by dissatisfied audiences and declining viewing share that could damage the legitimacy, they say, of the BBC funding debate. I mean, it does seem like it's an institution that, you know, at one time was getting unwavering public support, these days less so.
2: Well, that's a bit of a story, actually. The, the, the BBC has never had unwavering public support. Uh, it's always uh, been attacked, by pol- particularly by politicians, uh, when it's covered stories in a way... They'd rather it didn't. Um, and uh, the fact that it is highly trusted is, is and highly popular uh, is, in a sense, part of the explanation for that. Uh, public broadcasting in America never gets attacked by the equivalent forces, which are much bigger and actually better resourced in America. Um, but they don't bother because it, its impact is so much less. The BBC... Even though consumption levels are down for all broadcasters, uh, the the BBC is still consumed an average of two and a half hours a day by the British people. And if they're asked the question, which one source do you turn to for news you trust or impartial news, the BBC completely dominates. So this story that, uh, you know, oh dear, it used to be so good, but now it's blown it, um, is is sort of largely a myth. What is the case is that um, with two, well, two things. One is that uh, all broadcasters, uh, you know, viewing of live TV in particular is down across the board. But the other thing, which which isn't widely understood, is the depth. Of the public funding cuts for the BBC since 2010.
1: Yeah, because there have been the freezing of the license fee and, and the consequences of that. But no, in a it's, way. So it's isn't not
2: that... just the recent freezing of the license fee. Sorry to interrupt you. Mm. The well, please. real net public funding of the BBC from 2010 to 2019 was cut by 30%. The BBC then, controversially, limited the free license concession to homes with someone aged over 20 75 um, who's also receiving uh, pension credit okay so so limiting it to the to the poorer homes like that it also wrote to those homes that were going to lose the free license concession and over 90 percent of them paid up. so that reduced the cut in real terms, to, quotes, only about um, 25% or right. so. That,
1: that, that is enormous, and, and the consequences are obvious, I suppose, in the closure of services and, and, and the reductions there. Well, oh, sorry,
2: I, I haven't finished.
1: Roger. Okay, oh, all right.
2: Please. Was, okay 25% <laughs> by the time the Secretary of State, Nadine Doris, froze the licence fee or announced that she would freeze the licence fee in January Now, currently, as you know, we have inflation, let's say, averaging 10% per annum. Yeah, and
0: it's going to go higher, so it's going to to whittle away even more. It's
2: going to be 38% or so, and the costs of broadcasting, the programs and distribution technology – are going up.
0: Right, but that is faced by everybody, isn't it? So and so the question is are they doing too much? Have they got their fingers in too many pies? Do they need to concentrate more? For example, on news, if, the, if that's an area, do they need to do more news and less pointless uh, and strictly and shows that could easily sit on 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 commercial TV making money rather well, than being funded luck by the to public budget. the politician
2: who says the BBC should stop doing strictly Uh, We have a rather nice example uh, in the book. And by the way, I'm not the sole author of the book. I wrote it with um, Peter York of of, um, Slate Ranger fame, because we cover a lot of cultural issues as well as these these rather technical issues. But uh, we have a rather nice example of um, uh, uh, Bake Off. Now, when Bake Off was originally pitched by one of the independent producers, it took them five years to get anyone to back it because the idea of an amateur baking competition sounded like, you know, a stereotypical, worthy but dull public service programme. And after the first episode, the reviews across the board, both The Guardian and The Telegraph, the reviews were dire along the lines of who wants to see... If one amateur baker is a bit less bad right. than another,
0: but I mean, there are. Okay. But okay, so I think what you're saying is it's an innovative bit of TV. But there's an innovative t- TV which is created by commercial channels just as much
1: as by by the BBC. Absolutely, so. and often better actually, because they don't have the levels of bureaucracy that, that, that I know exist in some. And the they're BBC. not
0: quite so upset about up uh, concerned about upsetting people, which the BBC obviously these days is treading on, on eggshells. But I'm looking at the absolutely right the top ratings yes, I, to this this last week. Shetland uh, marriage over. Five million. Both BBC shows. BBC News is doing better than any of the commercial channels during the week. Um, but then you do have all those other shows like uh, EastEnders, Casualty. You know, I mean, the BBC creating soap operas. I mean, you can't get a more commercial proposition than that, can you?
2: Well, I think that's 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 your opinion.
0: Mm. Um,
2: when soap operas deal with sort of tough things, which are, which are relevant to people's, which I'm lives, sure the commercial channels I do too. I would certainly include that under public service broadcasting. But Mm. in any case, I'm a marketing professor. I'm I'm the former chairman of which I think competition is good, and I think creative competition is good. Uh, So the evidence is that we have in this country a very successful broadcasting ecosystem with the BBC still at its heart. And now, of course, we also have uh, not just you know, ITV and so on, but pay TV companies and Netflix and all of that. Well, so Netflix... Netflix has got 7%
0: share of the total viewing. So if you look at uh, terrestrial TV and you look at uh, video on demand, 7% share of total viewing, the figures I've got here, uh, go to Netflix. The BBC's got 21%. So that's three times the the share that Netflix has got. But, of course, not everyone's got Netflix. In fact, uh, about half of households do. So if everybody had Netflix, then there would be like 14%. So the BBC's share... Is twenty two percent, so that's a third more than Netflix would have if everyone had it. If you see what I mean, but it's it's the cost uh, that it's costing us uh, as taxpayers for the BBC uh, or as license pay fees versus how much we pay by Netflix is almost twice the price for the BBC. So I'm wondering
1: if that's value and, for money. And the money thing, which is really what I want to come on to, Patrick, on this, because that the point of any element of competition or how we regard it largely depends on how we pay for it. And the current payment system, surely you would agree, by getting a licence for a TV makes absolutely no sense.
2: Well, it, it makes absolutely no sense. It's rather similar to what, what Churchill said about democracy. It's the worst possible system apart from the alternatives. And so when people make statements like you've just made, uh, my answer as a, as a sort of pretty hard-line rational policy person is, OK, it's got disadvantages. Um, let's talk about those disadvantages, and maybe some of them are a little bit mythical. But in any case, have you got a better alternative? But but you say mythical, but, but Patrick, the, the basic thing is people
1: under 30, and I, I actually have a couple of them in my household do not much watch TV, they certainly don't buy TVs. So, in a way, what you're saying, if you maintain that system, imperfect as it is, as you say, is is going to mean that the older people who still buy TVs, I suppose, and watch TV are going to be the ones
2: paying for it all. And, and what sense does that make? Well, first of all, the, the, the BBC is not just a TV broadcaster, all right? If we ask the question in a slightly different way... Which is, which is the biggest media brand among young people in this country, and that's teenagers and young adults, it's still the BBC. okay. And, of course, the teenagers, it's not your kids who are actually paying the licence fee. The licence fee is at a household level, it's a household uh, fee, um, and, uh, you know, the same for everyone. So, my kids would say Twitch, by the way,
0: in answer to I'm that sorry? question. I don't think they were, My kids would say Twitch, probably. Twitch. Rather, yeah, well, they, I, might they say I, it.
2: But I think, you know, I, I have to say, well, I well, think it would be watch. very good if we had a five year ban on people making statements about the claimed media consumption I know what of their kid. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can tell you. I, I can tell in you. Hard I can tell you. Okay?
0: Right. Well, I can tell Not you. OK, so sam- it's a sample of one. Um, I, it's a sample of one, but yeah. my, my kids are in their early teens. I can tell you they do not watch the BBC at all. Well, well sorry, mine you, who are
1: you, in their 20s, they said, consume it in other ways. Yeah, but the precisely.
2: Point- and also, you keep saying watch, all right? The, the BBC, uh, it does TV and radio and online. And it's possible that you're, if they're young teens, they would be just in the age group, which is the lowest consumers of the BBC. Um, but even in their age group, it's a very, very big brand. And it's the only big British brand. So is
0: it is it too expensive for what it does, though? If we have declining audiences, you can sort of understand the, uh, the government's position on this, perhaps, if they're saying, well, OK, it's costing a lot. Uh, numbers are down. Surely it should be costing less if uh, if we if we're providing less product to less people, or the consumption is down. Does does the BBC need to well, change its way? And on that question of funding, I mean, there's the, there's two alternatives, aren't there, other than the current one? One is that it does just come out of government revenue, and the other one, which is what I suspect Nadine Doris would like to see. I'm not saying this is a we good idea. Right subscription. which, is, which is yeah, you only pay if you watch or you, or you consume, which is harder to do, obviously, in the in the case of radio. Uh,
2: right. Well, sorry, th- th- there are more than. Two alternative right so Give, what are the other ones then? Well advertising has always been an alternative if we if you ask me about the rail politique then I would say advertising is not an alternative. It was looked at in the 1980s a committee looked at it and rejected it. Quite rightly, and the commercial the revenue...
0: broadcasters would hate that. I mean, if you if you Precisely. if you if you put That's advertising on reasons. BBC Radio, the the rest of the radio industry would be doesn't that much.
1: It's a very small pool of advertising they're pulling from, and you can see when you watch Channel Four, they have almost no advertising in some parts of the day. So so that isn't a runner, basically.
2: That, so advertising is not a runner. Um, And actually, I won't bore you, but there are more reasons even than the committee realised, including that people prefer not to have their viewing and listening interrupted, other things being equal, uh, which they didn't even think about in the 1980s, oddly enough. Um, The second alternative, as you say, is, is subscriptions. I'll come back to that. The third alternative is general taxation. Um, And then the fourth alternative, which has been introduced in Germany and some other countries, is a universal household tax, which is independent of the particular devices people use to consume the BBC's services. And that could be a flat tax. There are some ways of making it a progressive tax, like linking it to electricity bills, so that the bigger, richer households pay more, which and is, that would
1: be more sensible, but similar in a sense, I suppose, to the license fee idea.
2: Uh, it would. I mean, I think that you know we're going to have a review. My my expectation is that once we've had this review, the conclusion will be, for the time being, let's carry on with the license fee. Now, that is partly because. Obviously, the one which, as you say, attracts Nadine Doris and, and a lot of other people who haven't thought about it very carefully. And a few people who have tried to think about it quite carefully, that is subscriptions. And that is, in a sense, a very sort of attractive idea because um, it's sort of based on the idea that, you know, it, it's wrong to make people pay for the BBC if, if they don't consume it. Now, the BBC is, is paid for at the household level. Measuring the total consumption of the BBC services, which proportion of households consume the BBC services, is actually quite an expensive piece of research. It's only been done once, and that was in 2015. Uh, And it was found that in just one week, 99% of households were consuming the BBC services. Um, Now, that's uh, extraordinarily high. And when you bear in mind... All this fuss about the BBC license fee being compulsory and 99% of households in a week were consuming the BBC. The idea that in 52 weeks, there are large numbers of people who are paying for the BBC unfairly and getting no benefit, even directly as consumers, never mind the World Service all the other things that are paid for. Okay. It's just absurd. It doesn't no, stand up.
0: But when you do, when you have so much of what you produce, when you've got so many TV channels, when you've got so much online content, when you've got so many radio channels and you're accounting for such a large part of the, the spectrum, then you expect that to be a high percentage. It's a bit like saying, you know, people who go outside tend to use roads because uh, they are everywhere. The BBC is everywhere. So it's not a question of it necessarily being cost effective. It's just that it is all pervasive.
2: Not true. They have a choice. Nobody makes anyone consume the BBC services. They choose to do so. Now, um, I said that it was 2015 when uh, the the number of households consuming the BBC services in a week uh, was last measured. You may well say, ah, yes, but the consumption is down since then. And also, you know, the trust in media... Uh, is down, which it certainly is across the board, Um, what would the situation be now? We don't know the answer to that directly, but we have got a clue, which is that uh, in 2015, the same year, the BBC, uh, I have to say with a bit of input from me, um, conducted a study called the BBC Deprivation Study, in which they surveyed uh, licence payers, And they focused on the 30 percent who in 2015 said, I don't think the license fee is good value for money. I'd rather either have no license fee and no BBC or a lower license fee and less BBC. So they then gave them an incentive to go nine days without the BBC. And at the end of the nine days, they gave them the peanuts, which was nine days worth Uh, of the license fee and it's 43 pence a day per household. Okay. And they sort of looked at this tidy amount of money they would have saved if they hadn't, you know, over the nine days, two thirds of them changed their mind. Okay. 68%. Okay. That was then repeated late last year and early this year with identical results. In fact, the proportion was 70% who changed their minds. Okay. Now it's not a statistically significant difference but the idea that uh, you know the BBC has sort of lost it because we've got Netflix, we've got all these other things, therefore we no longer need the BBC and, and we could just lose it. okay It just isn't true from an audience perspective. And, and yet,
1: Patrick, there are, I mean, you, you know, the evidence I hear, but, but there are clearly people who fi- find the, uh, the the imposition of a licence fee onerous, who find it unjustified, who who rail against it, and that is quite substantial. I mean, yes, it, a lot of the noise you hear is within the right-wing newspapers, but it's more than that. You hear it anecdotally. Well, people do talk about it as a thing they resent. And, and
0: I wonder, even beyond that, whether there are people who are generally supportive of The BBC don't mind paying for it, but feel as though it's lost their way a little bit. So uh, so by the BBC's, oh, the Ofcom research, the fourth annual report into the BBC, asking Mm. people how much BBC content reflects the lives of people like them, only Mm. 42% of people aged 65 plus agreed with that comment. So there's a lot of disillusioned older people. And I see the BBC, uh, you know, understandably, because they're, they're looking to the future, trying to drive to to younger audiences. I've seen it, for example, in, in BBC Local Radio, where they're trying to now be commercial radio without the ads, going after younger audiences and disillusioning the 65-plus the And audience.
1: the 65-plus is, a, as we said, many of the people who are mostly actually paying the licence fee at all.
0: And is a growing section of society. And more so I wonder whether they're losing well. their way in terms of who they're targeting. Uh,
2: yes, uh, it's, uh, it's we, by the way. I'm, I'm definitely... Uh, well over over sixty five. Well,
1: m- me, me too. So uh, uh, okay. we are in that uh, similarly. Um,
2: well, I think that um, obviously when when people are asking that kind of a question, particularly when there's been this sort of pretty relentless, you know, the, the the name of our book is the war against the BBC. And when we started the research for it four or five years ago, a few people said. Isn't that a little bit over the top to talk about a war against the BBC? Now, since the book came out in late 2020, people have stopped saying that. They accept that the BBC is subject to pretty relentless organised attempts to undermine it, to reduce people's trust in it. Now, the attempts to reduce people's trust in it have been pretty unsuccessful in direct terms, Arguably, it has been quite successful in terms of making the BBC more cautious. Okay, and so we've got this sort of latest mm. issue. And they've about- got
1: some political support. I mean, what they always do, of course, in terms of attacking, but, but Nadine Doris being a particularly obvious person, saying uh, that they have some doubts about the BBC. And in fact, the, the lady who is likely to be the next prime minister uh, talking about, uh, you know, they're saying that certain pro areas get their facts right, unlike the BBC. Well, I, GB, I mean, she said that on GB uh, News. I
0: mean, for God's sake, on GB News, talking to Alastair Stewart on GB News, saying, well, oh, at least you get your facts right, unlike the BBC see On That's GB exactly News, right?
2: So I think that the uh, this is part of a much sort of bigger picture about about um, Liz Truss, which is at present she's in the process of getting herself chosen as the next prime minister. And as you know, the people choosing the next prime minister is the one hundred and sixty thousand. Uh, paid-up members of the Conservative Party who, who in various ways, are not a representative um, sample of the people. She was on GB News, obviously, playing to that particular gallery. And I think that we as a country, one of the questions uh, we all uh, will sort of discover over the next few months is when she gets the job, to what extent... Will she stop playing to that particular gallery uh, and, and uh, actually start conducting herself in a way which appeals more widely across across the wider Patrick, population.
1: What what about, we've been talking a lot about the funding issues, but what about the whole culture of the BBC? Because uh, one of the complaints is that in in some ways it, it's, it tries to be all things to all men and women and that is inevitably going to put it in the firing line and perhaps these days doesn't work. I mean, what, what I know from working inside the BBC a huge controversy at one point about, uh, about climate change, the sense that we always mm-hmm. had to have someone to balance from the other side saying that there was no climate change and this was a way of of being in the middle and then people pointed out the absurdity of that considering what the burden of scientific uh, opinion was on it, and that shifted. But isn't that really the central dilemma as an organisation? If you're putting all the programmes out for all sects of the population, and you're putting news in such a way that it's balanced, even on the sides of absurd sides of an argument, that is unsustainable. I think.
0: I think you just put forward the argument that, the, the, from the discussion that we were having just before we started uh, this interview, because I, I mean, we, we come from very different backgrounds. Roger's more of a BBC man; I'm more of a commercial man. I'm used to the uh, where the approach where you throw out an opinion and you try and get a reaction, and uh, you, I believe with that approach you can go deeper because you can because you can take it to the next level, uh, and uh, I, and if you're wrong, you you you'll you'll get criticism, you'll get people offering alternative opinions. But in the BBC, I fear that if you uh, if you if you get a balanced debate and you think, hang on, I need to go to the next level on this debate, but I can't go too far because I might well, win it. I, I
1: don't think it really <laughs> works that way. But but but, but Patrick, well, I don't know. I'd be
0: interested in your thoughts on that, what, Patrick. Yeah, what, what is I mean Sure. The question is 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 by having to be balanced in all things in in news and current affairs does that mean you you have to stay at a particular level and you can 't dig too deep because if you dig too deep like for example when we we, we looked at uh, brexit and, and Emily Maitler saying you know she could find uh, they could easily find sixty economists who feared brexit was a bad idea to to each one who thought it was a good idea. Uh, You know, if you if you were to drill down on things like the Northern Ireland border question, for example, early on, you might have found that that was an insurmountable problem. Uh, And can you can you come to a conclusion like that when you have to appear unbiased, even if, you know, clearly, as it turns out, it really is fact.
2: Well, first of all, the the rules on due impartiality uh, don't just apply to the BBC. Mm. Uh, Thank goodness in this country uh, we have rules which say all broadcast news has to be duly impartial Um, and uh, a a very simple sort of proof of the value of that regulation uh, is if you look at Sky News in the days when Sky was still controlled by Rupert Murdoch and you compare it with Fox News in America, which was also controlled by Rupert Murdoch, as it still is. And Fox News um, is, by any standards, an enormously biased hard right. No,
0: we've got but, Nigel Farage on TV every night, by the way, in yeah, this on country.
1: News. But at the same time, I mean, it, it, what you say obviously is correct, Patrick, about due impartiality, but we do see the boundaries, I think, being tested partly with, with outfits like GB News. But I think also Channel 4 News, uh, of an average night, you would be fairly clear of the political position it's coming from.
2: Well, that's true. And I think that those are always sort of difficult balances to strike. But, you know, this is this is the art of the puzzle. By the way, I completely agree uh, with what you were saying about that due impartiality with good journalism, uh, which asks the right tough questions when people are talking nonsense, is is not the same as the so-called false balance of saying on every debate we have to have one person uh, arguing one viewpoint and then somebody else arguing the opposite even if we know that the opposite is nonsense mm. and climate change is is Brexit is difficult because reasonable people can disagree about it climate change is not something in which reasonable informed people can disagree and so uh if if the BBC or any other broadcaster uh has a, has a news or current affairs program in which someone is arguing against the pretty much clear consensus of, of expert opinion. Uh, then, at the very least, the journalists should should make that clear. So, Patrick, do you think
1: the BBC is getting that right at the moment?
2: No, it will never get it right. Okay. The, the BB, These these are difficult, subtle issues. I think that probably the BBC is currently rather too cautious. Mm. Uh, Peter and I have had minimal exposure uh, on the BBC, despite the fact that we're sort of, uh, or because of the fact that we're arguing their case in no. a very, very evidence-based way. Uh, so I think the BBC is now being rather cautious. Uh, and, you know, I, I think Emily made this. you know, she may have stepped out of line. Um, well, she doesn't and, work for them thought, anymore, so she can say what yeah, she likes. Precisely, um, precisely. Okay, so uh, as you say, we have, I, I've made the point that uh, due impartiality applies to all broadcast news, but so far, somewhat to my surprise, GB News uh, has been able, uh, you know, to, to have you know, clearly... Uh, a very biased coverage of, of current events. And, and so far, the regulator Ofcom hasn't gone for them. Now, it may be that they're saying, actually, this, despite the label GB News, this is not, in fact, a news channel. Uh, it's It's an opinion channel, and people know it's an opinion channel. The good news is that the public manages to work a lot of this out. Mm. So if you ask about trusted sources in the UK... If if, if you ask the question, which one source would you turn to for news you trust or impartial news, the BBC completely dominates. If you ask a slightly different thing, which is, here's a list of uh, news media, um, so we're we're getting your prompted response, not your unprompted response, to what extent on a 1 to 10 do you trust? Now, nobody does very well. But the BBC and ITV and then Channel 4 close behind have, you know, over half of people say giving them, you know, 6 to 10 on the 10-point scale. Yeah. GB News, among people who know what GB News is... Gets only 27%. But
1: they get very, very few viewers anyway, which is... But, exactly. I, but I
2: wonder if you asked the
0: question, you know, which which news channel would you turn to if you wanted to hear just the the top-line views without delving down too far for fear of upsetting somebody? The BBC would be ranking quite well with that as well,
1: well wouldn't it? That, that that is... I mean, I think that's unfair because I think what happens, you know, you, you definitely get lots of in-depth discussion on all, a whole range of issues. I know that for a fact in the BBC. It happens. Oh,
2: but also the public agrees with you, OK? So these... These relentless attempts to persuade the public not to trust the BBC, um, as I say, I think it has worked in the sense it's made the BBC more cautious. But uh, if you look across the public, um, it's true that a majority of the public, as, as, you know, about 60%, think the BBC is biased, yeah. but they disagree about in which direction it's biased. Yeah. Right? So people, in general, people who are younger, socially liberal. Um, left-leaning think the BBC is establishment and leans to the right. People who are older, um, socially conservative and right-leaning think the opposite. When you look at the organised attacks on the BBC, people who, as part of their day job, are attacking the BBC then uh, it's overwhelmingly from the right. Well, a,
1: a Tory cabinet minister was was tweeting this morning just saying effectively the Emily Maitlis speech is a, a Rorschach test. You look at it and you get whatever is in your head coming out of it. You make of it what what you think, on, depending on what your political view is, and they will simply be retrenched by that.
0: So, where how does this end? Uh, how does the war finish?
2: Oh, uh, very good question. I think that... Um, the, there is only one major threat to the BBC, and that is the funding cuts. All right? We are in a, a, a set of markets which are um, increasingly competitive with with, in, with in very, very strong um, particularly big u s players like like Netflix. Um, and at the same so so the real cost of business, uh, for the BBC especially for things like premium drama uh, is going up all the time by the time nadine Doris's two year freeze has has come to an end then the real funding cuts will be by my estimate about 38% mm. So I think there will be a car crash. And they won't be able I'm, to
1: be in every area. I mean, they won't be able to do uh, major drama, I suppose. You can't compete with the likes of will. That is
2: the question. The, we, DG is, the director general is saying, you know, nothing is off the table. So, But I think that the, when you look at how much fuss there is, when the BBC tries to slow, you know, close down a small radio station, all right, then at some point, I think, un- unless the funding problem is addressed, that we, and by which I mean the amount of funding, not the model of funding, but the amount of funding, you know, it simply can't. Carry on supporting the range of services it currently supports hmm. um, with 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 the depth of those cuts.
0: Well, I think on the, and, on, the on the local radio side of things, they they're just whittling the audience down. on yeah, is, yeah. is that is, is that part of the plan until there's no one left. But on the on the uh, on the TV side of things, I mean. Is I, part of the answer that you know if, if costs rise, you just start turning off transmitters because we're going to get to a stage in a, maybe a decade where we're just not watching uh, sequenced TV anyway. TV is
2: well, people have been saying that since you know uh, people have been saying that for about thirty years. You right, know, but, but it's it, happening really? now, though, isn't it? No, I mean, not really. No, I think that the, <laughs> the uh, it's relevant to, to the to the to the question of, of uh, subscriptions, by the way, because um, technically in order to do subscriptions, you have to have a way of excluding the people who haven't paid. And the people who are proposing it have have never actually come up with, okay, how are we going to do that? You can't, as you say, you can't do it with radio, but except for people who are on pay TV, Mm -hmm. uh, you can't actually do it for for television either. Uh, You can do it for BBC online. Um, But uh, probably once... If we have relatively fast broadband, which is available across the whole country, but also everybody's also subscribing to it, and we're a very long way from that, uh, at that point it becomes feasible. Whether it's a good idea is, yes. is something else, because what people haven't done is looked at the numbers. And certainly um, by my calculations... Um, if you wanted to maintain the investment in original programmes, which most people do want us to do, we we don't just want people to have uh, you know American programmes to watch. We want mm-hmm. to maintain our very successful um, uh, content business uh, in, in the UK as an industry. Um, if you want to maintain that investment, then the average household cost of a subscription would need to be at least fifty percent higher than the licence yeah.
1: fee. Yeah, it's causing... him. I saw one interesting thought, which was we should metre it. So you'd have, like, you have a water metre or a power metre. You metre, <laughs> so you use as much... You pay for as much BBC as you use. Now, that would yes. be interesting. Not uh, a good well, idea,
2: I That is cloud cuckoo land. It just... It sort of can't be done. Uh, and certainly, if you did go that route, then the costs would be vastly higher. Um, I mean, apart from anything else. The, the overhead costs at Sky for Great Britain and Ireland... Uh, for the general administration and the sales costs and the marketing costs are 80% of the total licence fee revenue of the BBC.
0: we we'll have to uh, wrap it up there. I guess if there's only one thing okay. I'd want from the BBC, I just want them to be more edgy. I sense that they used to be you, more edgy than they are that's now. That's
1: that's an age thing. You, they, I, think it, I don't think that's changed at all. I think, uh, you know, you look back and you actually watch some of the archives, it's not that dis- it's not that dissimilar to dis- dis- what we've got now, um, but I think there's always going to be that frustration. Absolutely, well, Patrick, thank you so much for being with us. Okay, um, well, just fascinating discussion just, and
2: uh, final well. final comment. It's the money. Yeah, it's all the, the money. money. Follow <laughs> always the money. the money. Well, no, but the, but the B- if the BBC if in 2010. The, the, the government has said, we're going to abolish the BBC. The, the poll tax rights would have been, you know, a mere curtain raiser for the mm, backlash. Yeah. So the BBC is being destroyed, OK, not by putting Robbie Gibb on the board, although that doesn't help, but by salami-slicing the funding year after year after year, and the latest freeze, which will cut its funding by another 17% over, over two years' of real funding. Um, That's just on top of these huge funding cuts, which at some point there's going to be a car crash. And with luck, the public will say, well, hang on, do we really want to lose this thing?
0: Right, Maybe. but they will always, and I know it's just a drop in the ocean, but £1.3 million a year to Gary Lineker, Zoe Ball on a million a year. I mean, well. I mean it's, only, it's only a small part of the total budget, but the public will be looking and going, well, if you really want to make cuts, there's a couple of places to start. Yeah, everyone yes, can manage the BBC yes, yes, apart yes. from the BBC.
1: But sure. So Patrick Barwise there, who clearly knows a thing or two about the prospects for the BBC and whether or not one agrees with him, he's got quite a lot of evidence there about... I mean really an optimistic way saying that actually it works it's doing well yeah but he hasn't got an answer about how it's going to be funded has he well uh, he yeah. had about four answers but none of them were uh, <laughs> necessarily what, the, what mm. I think is going to come through That, that and he said further money that's, that's where it, that's the big big problem yeah, yeah. the reductions and the cuts
0: well we know yeah. for sure over the next year or two that battle is lost mm. I mean he talked about inflation and obviously a government that is, uh, is out to would fight the this battle would the
1: incoming Labour administration say no no we're going to uh, raise the licence well, maybe they, maybe they wouldn't. Exactly.
0: Yeah, maybe the banals is. never
1: would. politically popular. Well, that's it for this
0: week. Next week, uh, Liz Truss will almost certainly be Prime Minister, and I can say this because uh, we are not the BBC. God help us. And the question next week, a Prime Minister voted by Tory members who would actually prefer Boris, and a leadership challenge foisted on them by a group of MPs in Westminster, ousting a Prime Minister who won the popular vote last time around. Is that really how democracy is supposed to work? And at the end of the day, what proportion of the population actually? Want her as Prime Minister, and how much control is she going to have? That's next week on the Y Curve. We'll see you then. The Y Curve.